God knows that we can be idiots. Hello there, this is the LifeSpring Family Audio Bible, and coming to you from Riverside, California, podcasting since 2004, I'm your OG Godcaster, Steve Webb. This is the daily podcast where we are reading through the entire Bible in a year. Our reading today is Judges 7 through 11, and I'm calling the episode, Think Before You Speak. As always, after the reading, I'll have some comments about what we've read, and we'll do our On This Day in Church History segment. Let's get going. Judges chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, Gideon, and all his men set up their camp at the spring of Herod. The Midianites were camped in the valley at the bottom of the hill called Morah, north of Gideon and his men. Then the Lord said to Gideon, I am going to help your men defeat the Midianites, but you have too many men. I don't want the Israelites to forget me and brag that they saved themselves. So make an announcement to your men. Tell them, Anyone who is afraid may leave Mount Gilead and go back home. At that time, 22,000 men left Gideon and went back home, but 10,000 still remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take the men down to the water, and I will test them for you there. If I say, This man will go with you, he will go. But if I say, That one will not go with you, then he will not go. So Gideon led the men down to the water. There the Lord said to him, Separate the men like this. Those who drink the water by using their tongue to lap it up like a dog will be in one group, and those who bend down to drink will be in the other group. There were three hundred men who used their hands to bring water to their mouth and lapped it like a dog does. All the other people bent down and drank the water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will use the three hundred men who lapped the water like a dog. I will use them to save you, and I will allow you to defeat the Midianites. Let the other men go home. So Gideon sent the other men of Israel home. He kept the three hundred men with him. Those three hundred men kept the supplies and the trumpets of the other men who went home. The Midianites were camped in the valley below Gideon's camp. During the night, the Lord spoke to Gideon and said, Get up, I will let you defeat the Midianite army. Go down to their camp. If you're afraid to go alone, take your servant Pura with you. Go into the camp of the Midianites. Listen to what they are saying. After that, you will not be afraid to attack them. So Gideon and his servant Pura went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other people from the east were camped in that valley. There were so many people that they seemed like a swarm of locusts. It seemed like they had as many camels as there are grains of sand on the seashore. Gideon came to the enemy camp, and he heard a man talking. That man was telling his friend about a dream that he had. He was saying, I dreamed that a round loaf of bread came rolling into the camp of the Midianites. That loaf of bread hit the tent so hard that the tent turned over and fell flat. The man's friend knew the meaning of the dream. He said, Your dream can only have one meaning. Your dream is about that man from Israel. It is about Gideon, son of Joash. It means that God will let Gideon defeat the whole army of Midian. After he heard the men talking about the dream and what it meant, Gideon bowed down to God. Then Gideon went back to the camp of the Israelites and called out to the people, Get up! The Lord will help us defeat the Midianites. Then Gideon divided the three hundred men into three groups. He gave each man a trumpet and an empty jar with a burning torch inside it. Then Gideon told the men, 
Watch me and do what I do. Follow me to the edge of the enemy camp. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly what I do. You men surround the enemy camp. I and all the men with me will blow our trumpets. When we blow our trumpets, you blow your trumpets too. Then shout these words, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the one hundred men with him went to the edge of the enemy camp. They came there just after the enemy changed guards. It was during the middle watch of the night. Gideon and his men blew their trumpets and smashed their jars. Then all three groups of Gideon's men blew their trumpets and smashed their jars. The men held the torches in their left hands and their trumpets in their right hands. As they blew their trumpets, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. Gideon's men stayed where they were, but inside the camp, the men of Midian began shouting and running away. When Gideon's three hundred men blew their trumpets, the Lord caused the men of Midian to kill each other with their swords. The enemy army ran away to the city of Bethshitta, which is toward the city of Zerorah. They ran as far as the border of the city of Abel-Meholah, which is near the city of Tabith. Then soldiers from the tribes of Naphtali, Asher, and all of Manasseh were told to chase the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers through all the hill country of Ephraim. The messengers said, Come down and attack the Midianites. Take control of the river as far as Bethbara and the Jordan River. Do this before the Midianites get there. So they called all men from the tribe of Ephraim. They took control of the river as far as Bethbara. The men of Ephraim caught two of the Midianite leaders named Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at a place named the Rock of Oreb, and Zeb at the place named the Winepress of Zeb. They continued chasing the Midianites, but first they cut off the heads of Oreb and Zeb and took the heads to Gideon. Gideon was at the place where people crossed the Jordan River. Judges chapter 8 Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this thing you have done to us, not calling us when you went to fight against Midian? And they contended with him vigorously. But he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God has given the leaders of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb into your hands. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. Then Gideon and the three hundred men who were with him came to the Jordan and crossed over, weary yet pursuing. He said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who are following me, for they are weary, and I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmanah, the kings of Midian. The leaders of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmanah already in your hands, that we should give bread to your army? Gideon said, All right, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmanah into my hand, then I will thrash your bodies with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. He went up from there to Penuel and spoke similarly to them. And the men of Penuel answered him just as the men of Succoth had answered. So he spoke also to the men of Penuel, saying, When I return safely, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmanah were in Karkor and their armies with them, about fifteen thousand men, all who were left of the entire army of the sons of the east, for the fallen were a hundred and twenty thousand swordsmen. Gideon went up by the way of those who lived in tents on the east of Noba and Jogbaha, and attacked the camp when the camp was unsuspecting. When Zeba and Zalmanah fled, he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmanah, and routed the whole army. Then Gideon the son of Joash returned from the battle by the ascent of Herez, and he captured a youth from Succoth and questioned him. 
Then the youth wrote down for him the princes of Succoth and its elders, seventy-seven men. He came to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, concerning whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are weary? He took the elders of the city, and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and he disciplined the men of Succoth with them. He tore down the tower of Penuel, and killed the men of the city. Then he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? And they said, They were like you, each one resembling the son of a king. He said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if only you had let them live, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether his firstborn, Rise, kill them. But the youth did not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a youth. Then Zeba and Zalmunna said, Rise up yourself and fall on us, for as the man, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmunna, and took the crescent ornaments which were on their camels' necks. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, also your son's son, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Yet Gideon said to them, I would request of you that each of you give me an earring from his spoil. For they had gold earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. They said, We will surely give them. So they spread out a garment, and every one of them threw an earring there from his spoil. The weight of the gold earrings that he requested was seventeen hundred shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and purple robes which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the neckbands that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made it into an ephod and placed it in his city, Aphra, and all Israel played the harlot with it there, so that it became a snare to Gideon and his household. So Midian was subdued before the sons of Israel, and they did not lift up their heads any more. And the land was undisturbed for forty years in the days of Gideon. Then Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had seventy sons who were his direct descendants, for he had many wives. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a ripe old age, and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash, in Ophrah of the Abi Ezrites. Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals, and made Baal Berith their god. Thus the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the household of Jeroboam, that is, Gideon, in accord with all the good that he had done to Israel. Judges chapter 9 And Abimelech the son of Jeroboam went to Shechem to his mother's relatives, and spoke to them and to the whole clan of the household of his mother's father, saying, Speak now in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. Which is better for you, that seventy men, all the sons of Jeroboam, rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Also remember that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf, in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. And they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our relative. They gave him seventy pieces of silver from the house of Baal-berith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Aphra, and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, seventy men, 
on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself. All the men of Shechem and all Beth Milo assembled together, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar which was in Shechem. Now when they told Jotham, he went and stood at the top of Mount Gerizim, and lifted his voice and called out. Thus he said to them, Listen to me, O men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Once the trees went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my fatness with which God and men are honored, and go to wave over the trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, You come, reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit, and go to wave over the trees? Then the trees said to the vine, You come reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and men, and go to wave over the trees? Finally all the trees said to the bramble, You come reign over us. The bramble said to the trees, If in truth you are anointing me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out of the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you have dealt in truth and integrity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbaal and his house, and have dealt with him as he deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, but you have risen against my father's house today, and have killed his sons, seventy men, on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you then have dealt in truth and integrity with Jerubbaal and his house this day, rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech, and consume the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham escaped and fled, and went to Beer, and remained there because of Abimelech his brother. Now Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. Then God set an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, so that the violence done to the seventy sons of Jerubbaal might come, and their blood might be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. The men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who might pass by them along the road, and it was told to Abimelech. Now Gael the son of Ebed came with his relatives, and crossed over into Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their trust in him. They went out into the field and gathered the grapes of their vineyards and trod them, and had a festival. And they went into the house of their god, and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gael the son of Ebed said, Who is Abimelech, and who is Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal, and is Zebul not his lieutenant? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? Would, therefore, that this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. And he said to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger burned. He sent messengers to Abimelech deceitfully, saying, Behold, Gael the son of Ebed and his relatives have come to Shechem, and behold, they are stirring up the city against you. Now therefore, arise by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. In the morning, as soon as the sun is up, you shall rise early and rush upon the city, and behold, 
when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you shall do to them whatever you can. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night and lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. Now Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the city gate, and Abimelech and the people who were with him arose from the ambush. When Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, You're seeing the shadow of the mountains as if they were men. Gael spoke again and said, Behold, people are coming down from the highest part of the land, and one company comes by the way of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your boasting now with which you said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Is this not the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. So Gael went out before the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech remained at Arumah, but Zebul drove out Gael and his relatives so that they could not remain in Shechem. Now it came about the next day that the people went out to the field, and it was told to Abimelech. So he took his people and divided them into three companies, and lay in wait in the field. When he looked and saw the people coming out from the city, he arose against them and slew them. Then Abimelech and the company who was with him dashed forward and stood in the entrance of the city gate. The two other companies then dashed against all who were in the field and slew them. Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he captured the city and killed the people who were in it. Then he raised the city and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the Tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the inner chamber of the temple of el Barith. It was told Abimelech that all the leaders of the Tower of Shechem were gathered together. So Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a branch from the trees, and lifted it and laid it on his shoulder. Then he said to the people who were with him, What you have seen me do, hurry and do likewise. All the people also cut down each one his branch and followed Abimelech and put them on the inner chamber, and set the inner chamber on fire over those inside, so that all the men of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he camped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower in the center of the city, and all the men and women, with all the leaders of the city, fled there and shut themselves in, and they went up on the roof of the tower. So Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and approached the entrance of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head, crushing his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, so that it will not be said of me, A woman slew him. So the young man pierced him through, and he died. When the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, each departed to his home. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father in killing his seventy brothers. Also God returned all the wickedness of the men of Shechem on their heads, and the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal, came upon them. Judges chapter 10 After Abimelech's death, Tola, the son of Pua and grandson of Dodo, came to free Israel. He was from the tribe of Issachar and lived in Shamer in the hill country of Ephraim. He was Israel's leader for twenty-three years, then he died and was buried at Shamer. After Tola came Jair from Gilead. He led Israel for twenty-two years. He had thirty sons who rode thirty donkeys. 
They had thirty cities in the land of Gilead, which are still called the villages of Jair. Jair died and was buried at Canaan. Once again, the Israelites sinned against the Lord by worshiping the Baals and the Astartes, as well as the gods of Syria, of Sidon, of Moab, of Ammon, and of Philistia. They abandoned the Lord and stopped worshiping Him. So the Lord became angry with the Israelites and let the Philistines and the Ammonites conquer them. For eighteen years they oppressed and persecuted all the Israelites who lived in Amorite country, east of the Jordan River, in Gilead. The Ammonites even crossed the Jordan to fight the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned against you, for we left you, our God, and worshipped the Baals. The Lord gave them this answer. The Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you in the past, and you cried out to me. Did I not save you from them? But you still left me and worshipped other gods, so I am not going to rescue you again. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them rescue you when you get in trouble. But the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do whatever you like, but please save us today. So they got rid of their foreign gods and worshipped the Lord, and he became troubled over Israel's distress. Then the Ammonite army prepared for battle and camped in Gilead. The people of Israel came together and camped at Mizpah in Gilead. There, the people and the leaders of the Israelite tribes asked one another, Who will lead the fight against the Ammonites? Whoever does will be the leader of everyone in Gilead. Judges chapter 11 Jephthah, a brave soldier from Gilead, was the son of a prostitute. His father Gilead had other sons by his wife, and when they grew up, they forced Jephthah to leave home. They told him, you will not inherit anything from our father. You are the son of another woman. Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. There he attracted a group of worthless men, and they went around with him. It was some time later that the Ammonites went to war against Israel. When this happened, the leaders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah back from the land of Tob. They told him, Come and lead us so that we can fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah answered, you hated me so much that you forced me to leave my father's house. Why come to me now that you're in trouble? They said to Jephthah, We are turning to you now because we want you to go with us and fight the Ammonites and lead all the people of Gilead. Jephthah said to them, If you take me back home to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives me victory, I will be your ruler. They replied, We agree. The Lord is our witness. So Jephthah went with the leaders of Gilead, and the people made him their ruler and leader. Jephthah stated his terms at Mizpah in the presence of the Lord. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of Ammon to say, What is your quarrel with us? Why have you invaded our country? The king of Ammon answered Jephthah's messengers, When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon River to the Jabbok River and the Jordan River. Now you must give it back peacefully. Jephthah sent messengers back to the king of Ammon with this answer. It is not true that Israel took away the land of Moab or the land of Ammon. This is what happened. When the Israelites left Egypt, they went through the desert to the Gulf of Aqaba and came to Kadesh. Then they sent messengers to the king of Edom to ask permission to go through his land. But the king of Edom would not let them. They also asked the king of Moab, but neither would he let them go through his land. So the Israelites stayed at Kadesh. 
Then they went on through the desert, going around the land of Edom and the land of Moab, until they came to the east side of Moab, on the other side of the Arnon River. They camped there, but they did not cross the Arnon, because it was the boundary of Moab. Then the Israelites sent messengers to Sihon, the Amorite king of Heshbon, and asked him for permission to go through his country to their own land. But Sihon would not let Israel do it. He brought his whole army together, camped at Jahaz, and attacked Israel. But the Lord, the God of Israel, gave the Israelites victory over Sihon and his army. So the Israelites took possession of all the territory of the Amorites who lived in that country. They occupied all the Amorite territory from the Arnon in the south to the Jabbok in the north, and from the desert on the east to the Jordan on the west. So it was the Lord, the God of Israel, who drove out the Amorites for his people, the Israelites. Are you going to try to take it back? You can keep whatever your God Chemosh has given you, but we are going to keep everything that the Lord our God has taken for us. Do you think you're any better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? He never challenged Israel, did he? Did he ever go to war against us? For three hundred years Israel has occupied Heshbon and Aror, and the towns around them, and all the cities on the banks of the Arnon River. Why haven't you taken them back in all this time? No, I have not done you any wrong. You are doing wrong by making war on me. The Lord is the judge. He will decide today between the Israelites and the Ammonites. But the king of Ammon paid no attention to this message from Jephthah. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He went through Gilead and Manasseh and returned to Mizpah and Gilead and went on to Ammon. Jephthah promised the Lord, If you will give me victory over the Ammonites, I will burn as an offering the first person that comes out of my house to meet me when I come back from the victory. I will offer that person to you as a sacrifice. Jephthah crossed the river to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He struck at them from Aroer to the area around Mineth, twenty cities in all, and as far as Abel Karamim. There was a great slaughter, and the Ammonites were defeated by Israel. When Jephthah went back home to Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him, dancing and playing the tambourine. She was his only child. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in sorrow and said, Oh, my daughter, you're breaking my heart. Why must it be you that causes me pain? I've made a solemn promise to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. She told him, If you have made a promise to the Lord, do what you said you would do to me, since the Lord has given you revenge on your enemies, the Ammonites. But she asked her father, Do this one thing for me. Leave me alone for two months, so that I can go with my friends to wander in the mountains and grieve that I must die a virgin. He told her to go and sent her away for two months. She and her friends went up into the mountains and grieved, because she was going to die unmarried and childless. After two months she came back to her father. He did what he had promised the Lord, and she died still a virgin. This was the origin of the custom in Israel that the Israelite women would go out for four days every year to grieve for the daughter of Jephthah of Gilead. Well, once more, we read a lot today, but deciding what to talk about this time was not difficult for me at all. The story of Jephthah is misunderstood by a lot of people, to the point where some have said, I can't serve a God like that. And I will admit, understanding the story is difficult unless you're willing to do a deep dive. 
It isn't really the fault of what happens in the story. It's partly a language problem, and it's a context problem for those that are not very familiar with the Bible. It's easy to take bits and pieces of the Bible out of context and build all kinds of weird ideas about God, but I could probably dig around and find bits and pieces of things almost anybody has said and build a completely unreal picture of them. One of the pillars of understanding the Bible is context. And in order to properly take the Bible in context, you have to be very familiar with it. That's one of the reasons I do this podcast. I want to help you to become more familiar with it. And every time I read through the Bible, I learn new things. So today, I hope to explain both the language and the context of the story of Jephthah, his vow, and his daughter. This is going to take longer than usual, but I hope you hang in there for the whole thing. Now, with that said, let's dive in. We read in the beginning of chapter 11 that Jephthah was the illegitimate son of Gilead and a prostitute, and he was a brave soldier. And we're told in verse 3 that he attracted a group of worthless men. And here, worthless men probably means that these were men who were poor or men without means, not that they were <laughs> what we would today call a worthless person. Now, I want to focus on the vow But before we get to the vow, I want to look at verse 29 that says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And this is where his courage came from as he went forward to accomplish his victory over Ammon. All right, we need to keep that in mind. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. In verse 30, we read, Jephthah promised the Lord, If you'll give me victory over the Ammonites, I will burn as an offering the first person that comes out of my house to meet me when I come back from the victory. I will offer that person to you as a sacrifice. Now, we need to very quickly say that that language was in the translation we read today, the Good News translation. And there are a few that have that translation. But listen carefully. In the King James, it says, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Okay, that's the King James, a little bit hard to understand. So now let's look at the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And please have patience with me. We have to go through these things because I'm building all the context for you, okay? The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, Jephthah made this vow to the Lord. If you will hand over the Ammonites to me, whatever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. And the NIV says basically the same things. Whatever comes out of the door, I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And the New Living Translation says basically the same thing. Whatever comes out, I will sacrifice as a burnt offering. Most of the translations I looked at said that, and I've got a whole bunch of translations at my disposal. Um, If we look at the Young's literal translation of the Bible, it says, and this is even more uh, difficult than the King James, but I want you to hear the language. This is the literal translation. Then it hath been that which at all cometh out from the doors of my house to meet me in my turning back in peace from the Bene Ammon, it hath been to Jehovah or I have offered up for it a burnt offering. So here it seems to say, which at all comes out of the door. So here's the thing. When there is a difference in translation, what I like to do is go back to look at it in the original Hebrew. So I did that. 
and the original word which we've read as whatever or whoever or which at all, that word in Hebrew is asher, which is translated into many different English words. By far, the most used is which or whichever. In the New American Standard Bible, asher is translated 1,929 times as either the word which or whichever. Now, different forms of who, whom, whoever, or whomever is 1,219 times. That's a difference of 710 times. So by far, the word which or whichever is translated from asher. And different forms of what or whatever is translated 230 times. So just for fun, if you want to add the which or whichever plus the what or whatever, we come up with a total of 2,158 times, whereas the who or whomever or whom is only 1,219 times. So that's a difference of almost 1,000 times that it's translated into what, whatever, which, or whichever. Almost double. Or you could turn it around and say half of the time it's translated as who or whoever or whomever. That makes a difference. I have to say that making vows or oaths or promises to God should never be done rashly, hastily, lightly, thoughtlessly, or emotionally. Any way you want to say it, a vow should always be done thoughtfully and seriously. In Numbers 30, verse 2, we read, When a man makes a vow to give something to the Lord, or takes an oath to abstain from something, he must not break his promise but must do everything that he said he would. So once you speak the vow, it's set in stone, according to Numbers 30, verse 2, which is, of course, an Old Testament book. All right? It's part of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Now, Jephthah's vow was a foolish vow. Even though verse 29 said that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he still acted foolishly. Having the Holy Spirit in us does not guarantee that we won't be stupid. The Holy Spirit does not control us or take us over. We're still responsible for our actions. It's almost as if Jephthah was trying to offer God a bribe. If you'll give me the victory, then I'll make an offering to you. Can this ever be an effective approach to God? I hardly think so. As if we can give God anything, right? So, is it reasonable to think that Jephthah had in mind to offer a human sacrifice, as some people think? It certainly seems as if he knew God's word because of the way he negotiated with the Ammonites. Do you remember? I didn't go over it in my comments here, but you remember when I read, he did a whole uh, negotiation with the Ammonites, telling them why the land belonged to the Israelites instead of the Ammonites. Okay, we read that. So, Jephthah must have known God's word. He had to have in order to give that uh, negotiation. So, if he knew God's word, he had to have known that God abhorred human sacrifice. In Leviticus 18.21, it says, Do not hand over any of your children to be used in the worship of the god Molech, because that would bring disgrace on the name of God, the Lord. Do you know what they did with Molech? They sacrificed children as burning sacrifices to this horrendous god. God said, Don't do that. In Deuteronomy 21.31, it says, Do not worship the Lord your God in the way they worship their gods. For in the worship of their gods, they do all the disgusting things that the Lord hates. They even sacrifice their children in the fires on their altars. So, if Jephthah was trying to persuade God to give him a victory, why would he offer to do something that he knew was contemptible in God's sight? That makes no sense at all. 
Now let's move on a little bit in that verse. As for the I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering part of the vow, most accurate Hebrew scholars believe that the best translation is this, I will consecrate it to the Lord or I will offer it as a burnt offering. I will consecrate it or I will offer it. Listen, commentator Adam Clark puts it this way, If it be a thing fit for a burnt offering, it shall be made one. If fit for the service of God, it shall be consecrated to him. So there were two things that he was offering. If it would be good for a burnt offering, I'll offer a burnt offering. If it would not be fit for that use, I'll consecrate it to God. I'll offer it in service of God. Two different things. And most accurate Hebrew scholars believe that that is what the original language says. Okay? Again, If Jephthah had any inkling of considering a human sacrifice, he would know that a burnt offering of a human could never be acceptable. And why would he do that? It would make no sense at all. So after he makes this vow, Jephthah goes off and wins the battle. And I'll read now from our chapter. When Jephthah went back home to Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him, dancing and playing the tambourine. She was his only child. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in sorrow and said, Oh, my daughter, you're breaking my heart. Why must it be you that causes me pain? I've made a solemn promise to the Lord and I cannot take it back. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He had made a rash vow, and such things are much better broken than kept. If a man makes a vow to commit a crime, his vow to do so is in itself a sin and the carrying out of this vow will be doubly sinful. If a man's vowing to do a thing made it necessary and right for him to do it, then the whole moral law might be suspended by the mere act of vowing. For a man might vow to steal, to commit adultery, or to murder, and then say, I was right in all these acts because I vowed to do them. Spurgeon continues, This is self-evidently absurd, and to admit such a principle would be to destroy all morality. Beloved, what Jephthah should have done is sought forgiveness from God for making such a vow. God is, after all, a God who forgives, right? Making a vow is serious business, but God knows that we can be idiots. When we realize our idiocy and ask Him to forgive us and release us from the vow, do you really think He would say, Nope, not this time. You made a vow and I'm holding you to it. Of course, He wouldn't do that. The fact that Jephthah said, I have made a solemn promise to the Lord and I cannot take it back, shows us that Jephthah, though foolish here, was a man of integrity. And that points back to the original premise of the vow. Would a man of integrity vow to offer a human sacrifice, even a vow made in the most emotional of times? Come on, man. I hardly think so. In Jeremiah 19.5, God said, They have built pagan shrines to Baal, and there they burn their sons as sacrifices to Baal. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. Okay, this is God speaking speaking of offering burnt offerings of their sons to this horrible false god Baal. God said, I've never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind. Now, the same can be said of me. I have never, at my highest or lowest points, considered offering any of my three sons as human sacrifices. 
even when they nearly drove me to pull every hair out of my head when they were little. And given what we've already established about Jephthah, that he knew the Word of God, that he was a man of integrity, I don't think it entered his head either. So why then did Jephthah tear his clothes in sorrow? I think we see the answer in the verse. She was his only child. When Jephthah saw her, his mind flashed to the part of the vow that said, I will consecrate it to the Lord. And he knew that meant she would never be able to give him grandchildren, which meant that his family line would die with her. This was almost too much to bear. And the daughter's request of him bears out this idea. She said, Do this one thing for me. Leave me alone for two months so that I can go with my friends to wander in the mountains and grieve that I must die a virgin. She wasn't thinking, oh gosh, I'll never have sex. She was thinking about the fact that she would never have children. And we'll get back to that point in a minute. But let's take a look now at verse 39. He did what he had promised the Lord, and she died still a virgin. Well, now that sounds like he killed her, doesn't it? But wait. Leviticus 27.2 establishes a principle about people who make special vows to dedicate someone to the Lord. And we know that there were women who served at the entrance to the tabernacle. Check out Exodus 38.8 and 1 Samuel 2.22. The most reasonable conclusion is that Jephthah's daughter was consecrated for this purpose, to serve as one of the women at the entrance to the tabernacle, leaving Jephthah with no descendants. Now, there is a precedent for a similar situation in 1 Samuel. A woman named Hannah had been unable to conceive, so she went to the tabernacle and poured out her heart to God, and she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. So God allowed her to give birth to Samuel. And when he was weaned, guess what happened? She took him to the tabernacle and left him there to serve the Lord. Now, the last verse of Judges 11 says, This was the origin of the custom in Israel, that the Israelite women would go out for four days every year to grieve for the daughter of Jephthah of Gilead. Notice that it's the women who had this custom, not the men. Now, think of Sarah, who grieved over not having a child, until, of course, Isaac was born. Think of Rebecca, we just read about, who also grieved for the same reason. God did not allow her to give birth to Esau and Jacob for 20 years. She prayed to have a child. And then Hannah, whom I just referenced. Not having children was a great sorrow to Israelite women, and this is why they grieved for Jephthah's daughter and why they remembered her every year. One last point. The book of Hebrews is in the New Testament, and chapter 11 celebrates the great people of faith in the Bible. Verse 32 says, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Had Jephthah offered his daughter into burnt sacrifice, there is no way he would have been included in this list of great men of faith. I believe God would have let Jephthah's line die out and be lost in history if he had offered his daughter in sacrifice. The fact is that despite making a foolish vow, by faith he fulfilled that vow and gave his daughter to serve the Lord. 
and in so doing, his name has been remembered throughout history. So, to wrap up, after this deep dive where we looked at the original language, after we saw what God's attitude is toward human sacrifice, after we saw that Jephthah knew the Word of God, after we established that he was a man of integrity, after we established that he gave two alternatives for what kind of sacrifice he would make, after we understood how important having the family line continue was, it seems clear that we can conclude that Jephthah never made a vow to sacrifice a human, it never entered his mind or his heart, and he did not offer his daughter as a burnt offering. I would love to hear what you think. Agree? Disagree? If you have questions? Comment at comment.lifespringmedia.com, email me at steve at lifespringmedia.com, or comment on the show notes page for this episode. Tomorrow we're going to read Psalms 21 through 23. Boost. Well, look at here. Someone sent a 1222 sat boostogram while listening to the Facts and Opinions episode on Romans. And according to the report that I'm looking at here, it was sent just after I said that I believed that Vax mandates are evil. This person, and I, it, it's anonymous, I don't know who it is, but this person sent a heart Raised hands and praying hands emojis. I thank you for that. I'm guessing you agreed with my comments and opinions there on Romans 13. I'm glad. God bless you for your support. And by the way, for those of you not familiar with sats or satoshi, those are tiny little pieces of Bitcoin. 1,222 sats sounds like a lot, but at today's Bitcoin value, it's only about 74 cents. So if you've been listening to the boostergrams coming in and thinking that I'm cleaning up with sats, maybe this will dispel the idea. But let me hasten to say that I'm very, very appreciative of every donation, no matter the size. Any donation is better than no donation. If you receive any value from the LifeSpring Family Audio Bible, returning some of that value in the form of time, talent, or treasure is appropriate. Let me ask you, do you subscribe to a streaming service, Hulu or Netflix? Well, they provide you with content to watch, and for that content, you pay them every month. And if you go out to dinner, they feed you food, and you pay them. I'm here for you seven days a week. Does that have value for you? Please go to support.lifespringmedia.com and return some of that value so I can keep doing this show seven days a week. If you want to stream sats and send boostograms and your podcast app doesn't let you do that, get a better one at newpodcastapps.com. You can also text a donation to me by texting 182-921 to 1-855-575-7888. When you give, you really are helping to spread the good news of a risen Christ. God bless you. This day in church history, October 19, 1656. Massachusetts passed a law prohibiting the further immigration of Quakers into the Puritan colony. This prohibition led indirectly to the later establishment of the colony of Pennsylvania. And on this date in church history, 1720, John Woolman was born. Who was he? Well, he was an American Quaker preacher and abolitionist. In 1758, his inspired appeal led the Philadelphia Yearly Meeting of Friends, or Quakers, to abandon and condemn holding slaves. His publication, Journal, which first appeared in 1744, is recognized as one of the classics of the inner life. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Well, this has been somewhat of a long show, so I'm going to check out right now. 
Until tomorrow, may God bless you richly. I'm glad you were here. It was great seeing you. I'd like to hear from you. My name is Steve Webb. Bye.